the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today, on Way of Grace. It's not like Paul has a, a big old power pack ten times bigger than Peter's power pack that Peter needs charging. No, no, no. God is teaching you and me that God works through different means to bring about the same results in order to teach us different aspects of ministry. On this occasion, he's teaching us the communion of the witness with the person that is in need to help facilitate their entering into that blessing. God often employs extraordinary methods to get his message out to the world. He'll even create unusual situations to capture the attention of the unsaved. But one day, he's rubbing mud on a man's eyes to heal his blindness. On another day, he's causing a crippled man to jump for joy. But with all the single purpose of conveying his message of love and grace. Why does he do it? We're about to find out. You're listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand. Join us now here in Acts chapter 3. Peter says, look upon us, and the text tells us this. Now watch this, look at what it says. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. So what we have to accept with this verse is that Peter and John did not uh, tempt the man or taunt the man with giving him money. Why? Because Peter said, silver and gold, I don't have. So what I am calling your attention to is not about negotiating a means by which you can have your physical needs met. Let's squash that right now. Let's put an end to that right now. In fact, that would be a test, wouldn't it? Here you are brought by your buddies, your family, your friends to the edge of the temple because the temple is an Old Testament paradigm. Lame people can come into the true church, but you couldn't go into the temple. You had to be right before you went in, right? So you're laying at the gate because you need God. God may show up, but if God doesn't show up, somebody will give you a a penny or a dime or you can live for a day. You got to come back tomorrow. It's a job, right? On this occasion, you end up meeting God because you're hoping in God, you're trusting in God. And God tells you to do specific things. And now we get to discover what we call the obedience of faith. And this is what Peter does. He says, silver and gold have, have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. So if I were to stop and go into the implications of that with regards to the gifting that God has bestowed upon us as believers, I am obligated to give what God has given to me. That's clearly one implication. It is more blessed to give than to what? It is much more blessed to give than to receive. So what I have to do is assess in my life. Has God poured into my life gifting? Has he given me something which other people need? If he has, I want a disposition of soul to give it. 
Because it's not automatic that when God gives you something, you're going to be ready to give it back. This is true. One of the things that the Spirit of God has to teach us to do is not be selfish. I was talking to my brothers, and you guys hear me talk about this frequently. In evangelism class, we are talking about how to identify people who operate out of different worldviews, who are trapped by narcissism, trapped by consumerism, trapped by existentialism, trapped by a postmodern ideology, trapped by all of these different worldviews that unless you actually are ready to address those worldviews, you and that person can be talking apples and oranges. You have to be able to actually see the kind of pit that they are in and use the appropriate key of knowledge to go inside that pit to have a conversation to bring them out because people are in different pits. This is why some folks in their attempt to share the gospel are completely ineffective because they don't even know where to start with people. What are you going to do with a person who has a pluralistic worldview? who believe all ways are right, and therefore they don't have a category of, uh, of non-contradicting uh, principles or propositions, which means you can hold a view that's completely diametrically opposed to theirs, but they don't see it as a contradiction because they're pluralists. Am I making some sense? Like my Hindu brethren. I tell my brothers and sisters all the time, when you share the gospel with our uh, Easterners, our Middle Easterners, and particularly our Hindu brethren, our Indian brethren, and they get all excited about Jesus and go, yeah, 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 I accept Jesus, I accept Jesus. And you go, ooh, they just became a Christian. I said, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They didn't become a Christian. They simply added as an adjunct to the other 200 or 300 million gods that they have chosen to embrace that day, Jesus right along with them. Okay, so now, now, now follow this. To get saved is to abandon every idol in the universe as abominable for the one exclusive relationship with the true and the living God in the person of Jesus Christ. You are not a Christian until you have settled the matter that Jesus Christ is Lord alone. Ooh, that empties out half the churches today. What did Peter have? Peter had a commission. Peter had a promise. And Peter had the prayer of a prevailing high priest who knows how to find his sheep in every dire strait that they are in and use the means of grace to get that sheep out of their predicament into a situation where they can love and honor and serve God. Do you believe that? Peter had a promise. He had a commission and he had the resources of the mediator working in his life. That makes it easy for us. I don't know if you, you don't know that. It makes it easy. If you have the commission, God has commissioned you and he's commissioned every believer and you have the promise, God will work in you. Everything necessary to produce in us a means by which we glorify him. And then we have a prevailing high priest to see to it that it happens. All you and I have to do is continue walking with God. The opportunity will open itself up. This is what I mean. This is uh, evangelism and witnessing is not what we do. It's who we are. Here we go. So he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Do you see that? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, that was the command that Peter gave this lame man, it was much like the command that Paul gave the other lame man, right? Except 
in the account in which Paul gave the command, you will notice that it says in chapter 14, verse 10, watch this. And he said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. What's absent in Paul's account that's present in Peter's account? The expression of the authority of the name of Jesus. The expression of the authority of the name of Jesus. Now, what I love about these two accounts is that these two accounts juxtaposed together, placed together, demolishes a false assumption of which I have said to you before is critical to be divested of in the life of Christians. And that is the pagan notion that simply spouting the name of Jesus produces something. That will be more fully developed as we go through the book of Acts as well. The fact that you are a Christian means you already intrinsically possess the authority that's given to you by right because of who Jesus Christ is. It wasn't necessary for the apostles to always quote as a mantra, Jesus, 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 for God to work through them to produce something that resulted in the glorification of Jesus. Another argument before we go back and close it down, we only got five minutes. Those presumptuous brothers called the seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19 thought that they could just borrow the name for a minute. Like they really didn't work for the police department, but they stole the badges. And they put the badges on their shirt and went around saying, in the name of Jesus. Right? It didn't work. It's not that the name of Jesus doesn't have authority. It has all the authority in the universe. You do know that. It's the name which is above every name, at which every knee will bow. The issue is the vehicle wherein the authority actually resides. You got that? Again, and I, and I shouldn't be holding these two in tension too much, but it's important for us to learn that lesson. What's remarkable about the Acts account in chapter 14 Verses chapter 3 is Paul didn't use the name verbatim and the boy jumped up on his feet. Peter got to work a little bit because God heals differently. Well, you can't turn this into a cookie cutter pattern of how he does it. Are you hearing me? That's what we like to do. Somebody over here is being used by God and that individual has a certain methodology by which God has blessed that methodology. Now we want to package that methodology and sell it all around the world. As if God is bound by the methodology. Now I'm not telling the truth. Got to be careful. So what we read in chapter 3 verse 6 is this. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand. See it? And he took him by the right hand. How come? Because when he gave the command, he didn't rise up because it was more needed for this individual to have the authority and power that is invested in Christ transferred to him on this occasion by which he would have experienced the blessing of restored limbs. Now, this is not outside of the purview of the ministry of Jesus. I made the proposition earlier. We're going to stop here. We'll pick this up next time. I made the proposition. The disciples are not doing anything Jesus didn't do. Is that true? So stay with me for a moment. See, so because Paul was able to say, get up, and the man jumped up, we don't get to give him a bigger church than Peter. 
we are, we're, no, 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 no. We're not, it's not like Paul has a, a big old power pack, 10 times bigger than Peter's power pack that Peter needs charging. No, no, no. God is teaching you and me that God works through different means to bring about the same results in order to teach us different aspects of ministry. On this occasion, he's teaching us the communion of the witness with the person that is in need to help facilitate their entering into that blessing. So Peter knows that he has to actually grab that brother by the hand and pull him up. You got that? He has to take that. So now once the hands are gathered together, they are in communion. They are in fellowship. Peter now is entering into that man's infirmity and assisting that man in the process of healing. Now, why is Peter doing that? Because his master did it. You got that? Because his master did it. Now, you and I know that Jesus was given the spirit with what? Without measure. But there were times when Jesus reached down and grabbed someone and pulled them up too. We wouldn't dare imply that on the premise of Jesus having to pull him up, that Jesus' power pack was low that day. Right? So Mark chapter 1, verse 31, will give us the modeling of the master. This is what I love about Peter. Mark one thirty-one. if you can pull that up. This is what I love about Peter. I'm going to share with you one more verse, and we're going to close it down tonight. So it says, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And you know what's quite uh, unusual about this text? Guess who the woman is here that our Lord is ministering to? Peter's mama. So, so the Lord was teaching his lamb the sensitivity and passion of ministry that is more mediatorial in nature. Remember, we're both prophets and what? Priests. Prophets and priests. And the priests always dealt in the healing ministry of the people in the Old Testament. It, it implies that when you and I take the hands of a person who is infirm or afflicted, that you and I are transferring. It implies that you are the vehicle by which the blessing is being transferred through you to them. It doesn't make you anything but a vehicle. But the joy of it is that I'm a vehicle. You see that? The joy of it is that I'm a vehicle. And, and, and on this occasion, okay, I have to exercise a little bit more labor. That sister or that brother can't get there. I got to go get them. Oh, by the way, they're too broke. I got to feed them before I take them there. If they need some clothing, i got to clothe them. If I have to actually repeatedly share with them the word of God and pray with them and, 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 and encourage them and build them up until they get to that place where they can walk in on their own, i got to do that too. There are some brothers and sisters who the moment you share the word of God with them, they can take up and run with Jesus and don't have to do a whole lot of interactivity with you. Others, we have to spend some time engaged deeply with them. Am I telling the truth? It's just so. It's just so. It's just so. Peter is modeling the master. Now I want you to mark this. When he lifted him up by his hand, the text says, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received what? 
When he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. In other words, the Lord did not impart strength until there was a communion between Peter and the man. Until there was a participation in the afflictions and sufferings of that brother so that Christ, uh, Peter could be a vehicle through which Christ would work in the process of healing. And will you notice what the text says in verse 8? And he, stumbling up, what does the text say? And he leaping up. Isn't that amazing? And he leaping up and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Do you see that? So now, now I want you to see the picture and we'll come back and unpack it next time, but it is the promise of Isaiah 35. Peter reaches down and grabs him. And while he grabs him, strength is infused into him where he doesn't only get up, he leaps up. I mean, you know, you could have tossed the basketball up and he could have dunked it and came on down. Right? And as they go into the temple, the man does not disassociate himself with the means by which the blessing occurred. He stayed identified with the apostles. For he was walking with Peter and John and still leaping and jumping. The steroids had kicked in. I mean, he was a bionic man for this moment. Doing flips and cartwheels and everything, holding on to Peter and James. They got this brother excited about the blessings of God. So in your outline, the question is, he is leaping from two things. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, Luke 6, 23. I'm just going to give you those, the answers for which he is leaping. There are two reasons for which he is leaping. Strength, strength. He's leaping because of strength, right? That's obvious. Strength. That is the fundamental claim of the gospel that it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Strength. Can you imagine what he feels like at this moment? Having every fiber in his legs to be brand new and bulging with energy. The adrenaline rushing to his brain. Listen, this man ain't never walked. He is filled with vitality. The strength of life. But there's a second secret commodity that's there that every believer knows. You know what it's called? Joy. Joy. There are two things by which this man is manifesting the power of God in his life. Strength and joy. Strength and joy. Strength and joy. How can they not be coupled together when they come as a free gift in the life of the impotent person? How can you not rejoice at the power of God resident in your life? And listen, this is the first time he's breaking the boundaries and barriers of that temple gate. This brother's in the temple now. He's in. He's in the church. He's in the church. He's in the church. He said, man, I'm in the church now. I can come in now because I'm clean. I'm whole. I'm clean and whole. I can go in. He's so happy. Hey, y'all, look at me. You talking about narcissism? Hey, look at me. (laughs) 
And there's so many lessons to be learned here. But listen to what the text says. It just, it just says, it. and he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankles received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Here it is. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. He was worshiping. He was worshiping. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to them. See, that's another study for next time. But here's what Peter says in verse 11 that's worth marking. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. See it? He's bound to them. He hasn't let them go. He has maintained a consistent association with the means of grace by which he has been healed. He's acknowledging their authority. He's acknowledging their being the means by which it was done. He didn't separate himself from them and go on about his business. Okay, so I'm just going to extrapolate one uh, theological observation here. And, And this is a sad but necessary truth. God only uses one means to save folks. I've been saying that for the longest. People don't believe me, but it's true. God's only saving you through the preaching of the gospel. And the preaching of the gospel that he's saving through is the preaching of apostolic truth. That truth that he committed to those men by whom the word of God was completed and given to us. And when we faithfully preach and teach the word of God, then God uses that to save people. Now listen, there are some folks who again in a I don't know, in a lapse of judgment, would tell folks nobody was the means by which I was saved. God saved me all by himself. Well, well, how did you get saved? Well, God saved me all by himself. Well, what was the means? Well, no, I just talked to God and God, God did it. Well, you know, I just started reading my Bible and God saved me through the reading of my Bible. I didn't have to hear the gospel. God didn't bring a minister. God didn't preach to me. I didn't have to hear the preaching. But Romans chapter 10 is an inviolable principle. It's an inviolable principle. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. How shall they hear without the preaching? Right? Now, the word of God can draw and it can bring people. But there's a point at which the gospel has to be proclaimed to you so that you can know why you need to be saved, from what you need to be saved, and by whom you need to be saved. Just because folk start reading the Bible and get interested in religious things, don't make you saved. Am I making some sense? And so I would be be more than glad to say God used the preaching of the gospel by faithful ministry to bring me to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because that's the only way it's done. It's only through the preaching of the gospel. So he identifies with Peter and he identifies with John because he accepts the means by which God had brought him to a complete healing process. Now all three of them are getting ready to be the means by which Christ is exalted. We're going to be taking a break next week, the week after that. And then I, let's see, we're back on January 3rd. Okay, so we'll be gone for a few weeks. And uh, just behave yourself. Uh, I want to read about nobody in the newspaper. Don't be robbing nobody. We're, <laughs> I don't want to be looking at the 11 o'clock news and saying, man, is that? Hey, Barb, Barb, look at here. Is that, is that, didn't I tell those people if they needed something to come ask? <laughs> 
I can tell you some stories. You don't know. Well, people be messing up this time of the year. And you know they got us on camera now, right? I mean, you know, you're talking about, oh, big brother coming. Listen, big brother here. Don't you notice how cameras catch everything today? I mean, virtually everything. So don't, listen, the moment you leave this building, some camera's on you. So don't, I'll be sitting there and I'm saying, man, is that, isn't that that member that sits in the third row? Look, he's still wearing that same jacket. He, he putting stuff in his jacket, man. You see, you see that? Do you see that, sister? Mom, is that such and such? Oh, Lord. And on that note, we will close out today's broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand, the ministry of Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward. If you have questions about our broadcast, maybe you would like to spend some time with us worshiping the Lord. We would love to see you. You can get all of that information and reach out to us through our website at grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Listen to past sermons as well as guest preachers. Again, at our website, grace-bible.com. We'll even let you have any of the notes, sermon notes, that are available from these sermons as well. Again, there's an awful lot of resource material available at our website, grace-bible.com. If you'd like to reach out to us by phone, our number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. Sunday services here at the church are at 1030. Friday evening Bible study is at 6.30, Tuesday prayer and Bible study again at 6.30, directions and information again at our website grace-bible.com or by calling 510-886-9782. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with this ministry as we reach out to the Bay Area and the world (laughs) on the World Wide Web? We do so because we are linking arms with other listeners such as yourself. This is a listener-supported ministry. Your gifts, no matter the size and no matter the volume, are great help as we continue this ministry called Way of Grace. Consider that as you reach out to us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.